Welcome to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham, a podcast dedicated to established business leaders like you, ready to bring more meaning into your life in a way that strengthens rather than threatens the financial stability of your business. I'm your host, Bessie Graham. I've worked with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies like the United Nations for over 20 years to bring doing good and making money back together. So let's unpack why you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life. This week, we're diving into the incredibly important topic of purpose, and I've invited Dr. Christine Whelan to join us. She's known as the happy professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the purpose professor at Emory University. When I read her book, Finding Your Purpose, I reached out and asked her to join us, and I'm so thrilled that she said yes. So welcome, Dr. Whelan. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. We uh, have seen when we look online and and read about you that you are really passionate about translating academic research into the more actionable aspects that we can put into practice in our everyday life. And that's what we're really keen to get a sense of from you today in the podcast. With just setting a little bit of context for people so you know who we're talking to and why she is someone worth listening to around this topic. Dr. Whelan has degrees from Princeton and Oxford and has been published in New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, just to name a few. So it is an absolute privilege to be able to learn from her today. Let's jump in because there's many topics that I'm keen to pick your brain on and, uh, and learn a little bit more from a research-backed exposure, really, rather than simply those of us that are living and and learning as we go. So to open up the conversation, I want to frame two of the aspects that are really transformations that I'm committed to working with and contributing to with the leaders that I work with. The first is around creating spaces that are for business leaders, established business leaders, but also provide tools for them to really start to experience freedom and fulfillment in ways that they haven't yet been able to through the way that they're operating their businesses and and living their lives. And the second is around my desire to change the way businesses are run and to see them having a more positive impact in the world. And I believe from my experience that unless we do the first piece, unless we focus in on the leaders originally and and help them be better equipped to show up in the way they lead, it's very difficult to have the kinds of impacts we want to have in our businesses. And so with that work of the personal work, the leadership work, the self-awareness and reflection, we're really seeking out to find that clarity for us as, as leaders. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you can start us off with really that focused, deeply human component of how do we feel fulfilled and find purpose and meaning in our lives? 
maybe even as basic as, you know, how do you describe or define purpose? But if we can just come at it from that human angle first up, that would be wonderful if you could jump in. So purpose is one of those buzzwords that is really big in business right now. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the discussion around purpose is more performative than it is substantive. So people are using it as a slogan and less as something that they personally want to think about. And this is where your work with leaders is really, really important because unless the leadership of an organization realizes that purpose is something that they want to explore for themselves personally, it's very hard to say, oh, purpose is something for, for you guys to think about, not for me. I really got it all sorted. And so really personalizing this journey is something that I have been quite passionate about. And in part because when we think about purpose, it's often so performative. Our definitions of purpose, even in the academy, um, I think are kind of anxiety producing in their vagueness. So for example, when an academic usually tends to describe purpose and define it, it would be as a singular life aim, like the one thing that you want to do in your life. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff I want to do in my life and I wear many hats. So the idea of thinking about purpose that way feels really restrictive. And instead, over the last decade or so, I've worked with tons of folks. I have worked with kids all the way up to folks in retirement and uh, really tried to bring out a, a more real and living definition of purpose. And so I define purpose as using your gifts in keeping with your values to make a positive impact on the lives of others. What I like about that definition is that it's action-oriented and it will evolve with you as your gifts change, as you want to focus your values in a particular direction, and as the people that you care about and the causes you care about evolve through your life as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I liked in the way that you define it and actually even right back at the start when you talked about some of those performative aspects it connects back into the conversation around values because that also falls into that category so often where we are claiming something, we are talking about values or, or what we value, and then there's this disconnect between what we say and how we behave, which, you know, if we come back to the components of how do we feel satisfied and connected and live that fulfilling life without the sense of there being the authenticity and the integration of what we're saying and doing, it's pretty hard to feel fulfilled or in flow. It is. And yet this is really, really common. And it's not that we are intentionally lying about our values or trying to put a particular spin on it. It really is that, first of all, we, uh, we have so many shoulds put on us, whether it is from our upbringing, whether it's from society as a whole. And so figuring out what we actually value is often difficult without some benchmarks in terms of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, uh, where our emotional interests lie. And so I really encourage folks to do some very basic exercises to kind of uh, help you suss out your values from the ground up rather than from a, a top-down description. So for example, doing a time diary of how you spend your time in 15 minute increments, you know, bill your time out like an attorney, 
And when you do that, what you can find over the course of a week, and P.S., would you believe I am actually doing that right now this week? I do it every couple years um, and I do an updated version of it. And I find it really useful because at the end of the week, I'm a little type A, so I color code the whole thing into various chunks of my life. But what I then see is how I'm spending my time. And then there are one of two things will happen. I'll either look at it and say, huh, well, that explains why I'm not doing what I am supposed to be doing in this area of my life. And then I'll say, okay, now, is that because I am spending my time in keeping with my values, my true values? Am I living my values, but not articulating them properly? Or am I actually just sort of going through the motions and do I really need to be putting time into something that is, um, is, is more important to me? So when I was, when my kids were really young, I was always behind. I could not, I mean, I was always underwater with all of my work projects. And when I did one of these time diaries, I realized it was rather simple. I was not working full time by any means. I was spending so much more time with my kids and that was a wake up call. And I could either choose to spend more hours on work or to pull back from my paid work for a bit and to go part time at the university for a couple of years, which I ended up choosing to do because my values, my true values were guiding how I was spending my time. But had you asked me before I did that, I would have told you that my, it was all about my professional values. So really kind of checking yourself and looking at those shoulds as we try to balance it is a very important exercise on our path to purpose. Yeah, I think it's really good to have some of those practical tools that you can tap into when you're trying to figure out what is that disconnect that's happening because you're right i think having looking at it in those two ways is important because very often there can be that aspect where you think oh but this is what i've said the values are and and the disconnect means you could automatically then try to realign with what you've articulated but having that second moment of reflection to say hang on are the things I'm actually choosing to do telling me something about that there may, the disconnect might be coming in at my articulation rather than my behavior? Because it could be either, either of those. You know, Gloria Steinem famously said that if you want to know how, what someone values, look at their checkbook. And now it's probably their online banking app. But the idea is the same. So if you, if you look at where you spend your limited resources, and it's not just time, it's money as well. Uh, also your limited emotional resources. And if you look at sort of where you gravitate, that will give you a pretty good indication of what you value. What's your thoughts on, so the, the Gloria Steinem example is a good one. And then also when you did that assessment of like, where am I spending my time and how does this reflect with what I value? What are your thoughts though, related to the fact that quite often we are not actually spending our money on what we care about or value and we're not actually spending our our time in those areas. What are your thoughts about how something like purpose or equally I know that you work on looking at areas like well-being and people actually defining what success means to them. What's the role of clarity around some of these really big topics to actually help us gauge and tap into those things in a more nuanced way? Because I think we can take these great quotes and sayings and then 
actually miss the point if we don't have a way to sense check, have I actually done the work to articulate what my version of success is or what purpose looks like for me? Or have I just taken on board and I'm running a race that is actually somebody else's? So you're absolutely right. And I would just add right now to the end of each of those statements, because I think a lot of us kind of freak out about having one answer that is going to lock us into something and to know that our, our values and our purpose evolve over time. That doesn't mean that we uh, are, are rudderless. It just means that we go through different seasons and phases of life. So I, I, one of my favorite things to do these days with myself and with folks who are interested in learning more about purpose is a daily purpose statement exercise. And I, for years, did a major life purpose statement exercise with people. Uh, I tried to break it down into a sort of Mad Libs style uh, fill in the blanks exercise to make it as palatable and, and fun as possible. But now I've gone even more granular and I encourage people to do a daily purpose statement exercise, which is actually what I have been doing now for a couple of years. And so here's the way it works. You, at, you answer five questions every day. You can do it either the night before or you could do it for the week. It's all very flexible. But the idea is to do it on a short term basis. So what are the three core values that you want to guide your day tomorrow or that you want to guide your week? So again, a short, finite period of time. So the three values that you want to guide you for that period. Then what are the three strengths, the gifts, the talents that you want to use for that day or for that week? And then who do you hope to positively impact? You can think of three groups or people that you want to positively impact, again, in that finite period of time. Then the, the fourth question is, what are the the fears and anxieties and excuses and yeah, buts and all of the things that might trip you up along the way. We always, we have a long list of all the things we're afraid of, but if we can think about it like just for right now and for the specific skills and values that we've listed over that time period. And then finally, here's where I think the really fun part comes is what are the purpose-based commitments that you want to make for tomorrow? for this week, and you write those three down. What I have found is by doing these five things, and then I put it into two sentences. The first sentence is, because I value, and then you insert your values, I will use my gifts for, and then you put in your gifts to positively impact, and then you put in the impact groups. And then the second sentence is, you know, embracing or understanding my fears and anxieties about, and then, you know, all of the things that you worry might get in the way. I still today or this week make purpose-based commitments to, and then you list the three, four, whatever things that you want to do. What I have found by doing this exercise is that it, it's almost a sort of glorified to-do list by the end because I'm listing the things that I might do anyway. But when I accomplish those things, I know that those things are in keeping with my values. I know that those things that I have done, even small things like making a baked potato bar for my kids with all the fixings, you know, you could just say, oh, that's making dinner. Why do you put that on your list? 
Well, no, that's actually because I, I value and want to positively impact my family and I'm using my gifts of creativity to do that. And so putting that all together has really helped me give myself a different kind of credit uh, for the purposeful actions that I'm taking and really checking myself to make sure that at least in some of these things that I'm doing, if not all of them, I am acting in a way that's purposeful and meaningful not necessarily only on that big level, but on that day-to-day level as well. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. The connection there too between we can so often, there's a phrase that my partner Brad uses, which I always steal, which is that we can't mistake movement for progress. And what you've just described allows us to have that sense check of, okay, am I just busy and I've got the to-do list or are these actually the things that are helping trend in the direction of what it is I want to be um, contributing to, how I want to be showing up as a person in these different elements of life. So, I really love that uh, and, and think that that's a helpful kind of way to think about where we are putting that time, talent, treasure to work in the world. The other piece that's really helpful, I think, about shortening or bounding the time frame is you're so right that we can be actually paralysed by the hugeness of needing to articulate this perfect, beautiful purpose of like, what is the purpose of my life can be quite overwhelming and doesn't actually acknowledge that there's different seasons and chapters of life. Particularly, I was having a conversation yesterday around when we look at a lot of the, the research and the pieces that are coming out around the 100 year life and the fact that we're living so much longer now and you can't possibly anticipate what different chapters and with the speed of technology changes and things, you there will be things that you can't even comprehend yet that will become part of your purpose. So, I think that's a helpful uh, reframing too for people to, to sort of think about. So, that's really helpful. I'm wondering when I think about these different terms that we've used, so we've talked about things about values, purpose, the, the components of, of how these different ideas play out. They're quite massive topics and often we use a word, but we might mean it in a different way to someone else. I'm wondering, from your research and experience, when we think in a business context and people start to talk about a mission statement or a purpose statement, are those two things different uh, or, or are they interchangeable words? How do you think about mission and purpose? So, I tend to think about mission as the company's mission and purpose as the individual people coming together to, with, their, with their individual purposes in support of the larger mission. Now, different people are going to define it different ways. And what's very important for leaders is to have that discussion right off the bat and define terms. Uh, and, and a lot of these can be defined um, within reason just about any way you want. Uh, but as long as we're all talking about the same thing, then that's where you can have the good conversation. I think it's also really important in a leadership and a business context to see where individual purpose and, um, and corporate mission align and, uh, and where they don't align with, diff- with various folks. So, for example, there's a lot of really interesting research out from McKinsey over the last couple of years that shows that folks in the C-suites, the executives, tend to 
believe that they are work they're using their purpose and they are working purposefully whereas people who are on the front lines uh or in the factories or um even in the con in the consumer facing roles tend not to tend to feel like their personal purpose and their jobs are very separate things now that's interesting because then we have a disconnect within an organization so the folks who are actually working with the public may not understand the mission of the company. And when that happens, even if all of the CEOs and C-suite folks are very purposeful and understand the mission of the company, if they're not the ones that are interacting with folks, then, uh, then that is not coming into practice in day-to-day -day life. So having these, so defining terms in any way that would be uh, understandable to as many people as possible and really quite practical. What does it mean? So for example, if you have a, a consumer facing company that is going to say the part of its mission is hospitality. Well, what does that mean? What are the things that people need to ask? What are the steps you need to take to really live that kind of mission? And again, this is where when I talk about my desire to translate academic research, Increasingly, I have basically thought of myself as bringing it from the big to the granular, really like pulling things down and instrumentalizing things uh, in a way that makes these big ideas livable on a daily basis. Yeah, it's so important. I think the that aspect of a disconnect that can happen from the leadership or C-suite down makes me think of Patrick Lencioni always talked about the need to over-communicate clarity. So it's that piece of as the leader, not only do you have to reach a point of clarity and then share that with the team and mm. depending how large the organisation is, roll that, that all the way down. It's that piece of it's not just to get to clarity, it's not just to communicate at once, it's the over-communication of again and again so that it really is clear. And I think that one of the pieces that is so often missed for us as business leaders is that that connection between an individual person's role and their contribution to the company and how that connects to the bigger picture, you can't just assume someone can make that leap themselves. You actually need to really help people map that out and point out for them why it's important that this particular task down at the granular level that you were speaking about, that it is done in a certain way. If we're saying this is about hospitality and yet we try to get customers off the phone as quickly as possible or we don't like people to come into our office, then that is not going to translate. And so we have to you know, really connect those dots. And I think so often we make big assumptions about other people's ability to connect dots in a big system, uh, that actually that's our job as the leader. <laughs> right. And when that connection is made, people are much more satisfied in their jobs. When you realize everyone who wants to feel important, all humans want to feel important and valued. And in even huge organizations, no matter what your job is, it is important, right? These are things that will have ripple effects through the organization if not done, if not done properly. So making everybody really feel and understand that and seeing the bigger picture. So there's the classic sort of uh, the, the, the parable of the traveler who came across three men working and he asks the first man, what are you doing? And the first man says, I'm putting one brick on top of the other. 
And that was true. And the second man says he's building a wall. And that was also true. And the third man says he's building a cathedral. And that's also true. Now, the way this sort of business parable always goes is that we all want to be the third man. We all want to be able to see the bigger vision that the cathedral, not in a religious sense, but in the sense of building something bigger than we are in our work. And that's totally true. But something never quite sat right with me in this parable, because I, if you think about our lives, we are all also the first man, right? We are all putting one brick on top of the other because that's how cathedrals get built. And we need to feel good about putting one brick on top of the other in our lives because it's not glamorous work a lot of the time. And it's hard and messy and exhausting. So to know if we just focus on the cathedral, I think oftentimes we forget that the work is done brick by brick. So thinking about all of those steps and how they lead toward the larger purpose and really validating all of them as important, that's the way you build the cathedral. And it feels like some of those tools that you've already talked us through today are really practical ways to do that zooming in, zooming out, you know, moving between different timeframes, different horizons of the cathedral down to the, the individual bricks. So I think that, that they are really practical and useful ways for us to come back and have that sense check of, okay, am I getting a little bit too obsessed and focused on the cathedral and losing track of the details that have to be done well to get to the end end goal? Or vice versa, am I so down in the weeds that I've lost all sense of of what we are actually building here? And then making that connection to also ensure that your team are clear on that, not just not just yourself. The other piece that this conversation and talking about some of these disconnects and some of these aspects related to individual employees not necessarily feeling that sense of contribution or connection in the same way that someone at the C-suite might be feeling. It takes me right back to one of these fundamental challenges that we have in business around the fact that it's only really been since the 1970s that we've had this very one-dimensional uh, view of business and its role being simply about shareholder value maximization or profit maximization. And, and so we've had the, the work of Friedman and then Jensen and Meckling that were starting to talk about these aspects of what is the, the challenge here and how do we address it? And, and it just got boiled down to this very unsophisticated aspect that so many business leaders have now taken on board which traps us in that space of not taking into account a broader stakeholder group, but only taking into account these uh, needs or desires of a shareholder, which robs us of, of so many things. And I'm wondering when you think about what we've actually lost in that process and what the benefits of something like purpose are when we bring that back in to make our organisations more human and get the the benefits that flow from that. What have we lost? What are the the pieces that your research shows purpose can bring us? So first of all, you're absolutely right. It's the human element. If we've lost the human element in our work, then I mean, you know, AI is is learning fast. 
And, and so thinking about that human element of what work brings to us in terms of people and relationships really matters. And that's where purpose does come in. So the, um, I, I, one of, when we talk about the research on the benefits of purpose, I really love it because I can list off all this stuff and it sort of sounds like, um, I am uh, having an infomercial for like a vitamin or something like that. Guess what? You know, so here's what purpose can do for you. It can, um, so there's research that shows that having a sense of purpose, uh, gives you, uh, gives you more energy and more, um, and more focus in your work. You are more able to accomplish the goals that you set for yourself. You're more able to learn new things. In addition, having a sense of purpose helps your relationships. It, uh, you have strong, you have better health. You take better care of yourself. You're more likely to engage in preventative health measures as well. And then even better than that, in the business sense, having a sense of purpose, you know, you also tend to earn more money. Why? In part because of all of the other things. And so if I were to say, you know, there's a pill that'll give you more money, uh, live longer, better relationships, all of these things, you would say, you know, sign me up for that. But really what we're talking about is having a greater sense of that why behind what we do. And the um, the benefit of talking about purpose is that this is not one of those like either you have it or you don't, especially when I talk to young people who are like, oh, no, this is like another thing on my to do list. No, really, this is an opportunity to ask and answer these big questions of what matters most to me and why does it matter and then how I can make it happen in my life. But if you think about it as an opportunity rather than as another to do that really is probably the best way forward. When you think of those people, and, and you're right, it can be young people who are struggling with that, but it can be any of us that get to a certain crossroads and think, oh gosh, I don't want the next chapter of my life to be the same as the previous one, and I, this is a chance to rethink these things. Are there other steps or questions we should be asking ourselves that really help us narrow down and have that articulation that is personal and a deep reflection of us as a unique individual. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've had this experience, but when I do values work with people, I'm actually often surprised at how many people will do a Google search. And so the fact they even actually tell me that, and I'm thinking, if you had to do a Google search to tell me what your values are, we have a problem there to begin with. But I'm wondering, what, like, what are those pieces? Because we can fall into thinking that there is a right answer or taking on board mm -hmm. too much external data. Mm -hmm. how, do, how does someone ensure that it is deeply personal when they articulate these things? So, you know, it's interesting that you say that people Google values, right? Because I, um, I tend to put up Schwartz's universal values list which is a research-based list of international universal values. And I, but before I put it up for people in talks, I say, now, if you're the kind of person for whom this is like totally overwhelming, um, then don't look, keep your eyes down and, uh, and think about it yourself. But for a lot of people, having, um, understanding what a value is, is it just, it's just not something that we talk about in society. So we need a little bit of help. Um, along the way. One thing that I do always note to folks is on this list of universal values, happiness is not on there. And that's because happiness tends to be a byproduct of living your values, not a value in and of itself. Because if one of your values is just to pursue happiness, first of all, happiness is one of my least favorite words because, you know, what kind of happiness are you talking about? But second of all, that is, um, 
that's like only thinking about the goal rather than about thinking about what matters to you and the feelings that you want to feel. So the other exercise I often help people with is when they can't think about their values. It's the sort of um, what do I want to feel more of in my life and what do I want to feel less of? Um, and, uh, and, and then from there, you know, maybe some of these values can, um, can begin to emerge. I, I have to say though, that values, um, are such a difficult question for, um, especially for young adults that, uh, that I have now again, started to help people say, just try a, a set of values for today see how those go and really do it more as a um as a, having these things emerge from trying them on you try on a couple of values for this week and see whether these really are the values that fit you rather than committing to a very expensive set of values that in fact locks you in in a way that's not really you are there some time frames so you've you've talked to us about having a look at okay what would the articulation of purpose or the values be for today or this week or a short time frame. From your research, are there windows of time where it's actually really useful to revisit or think about these aspects of, of purpose or values on an ongoing basis? So certainly in times of transition, it's really important to check in with yourself about your values, about the gifts and strengths you want to use, about who you want to impact. And potentially, most importantly, the fears and anxieties that are going to come up along the way. Because anytime we are in times of transition, all of our old fears and yeah buts and, um, and, and imposter syndromes and feeling of uncertainty, all of those do tend to rear up. And, uh, and that also can come up from the fact that potentially we have been living our parents' values or the values that we feel are the correct ones based on the society we grew up in. So first of all, times of transition are a great time to look at this. If it depends on what schedule you're on. So for me, I'm on an academic schedule and I really like looking at this at the beginning of an academic year. Uh, and, um, and then again, as I head into a, a summer schedule, I have friends who look at it when they clean, when they when change over their closets from warm weather clothes to cold weather, they have told me that they feel like they have a warm weather and a cold weather sort of sense of values and strengths that they use because they do different things in their lives. I think this is a really personal and kind of cool thing to do. For years, what I used to do was write a letter to myself on New Year's Eve uh, and I would open it up the next New Year's Day. So not the day, not the next day, but a year from then. And I would open it up and sort of write a letter to my future self. So doing these kinds of check-ins are really important because that allows you to have that growth over time knowing that this will not be the one and only time that you do it and while i'm on that path of of thought you know this is also something that can be done within families within couples with parents and kids uh and these are really important conversations to have when you're talking with your significant other about money because fights about money tend to really be fights about values and how you allocate resources, limited resources in keeping with those values. That works in companies as well. When you're talking about a budget, what you are talking about is how to allocate limited resources in keeping with the mission and values of the company. Yeah, so true in terms of that 
all of these pieces coming back to how do we have confidence that we're making aligned decisions, it, it is the actually being explicit about this and, and calling it out and having what can be uncomfortable conversations, but things that, that need to happen. You touched on there the this aspect of strengths, and you've spoken about that um, a little bit today at, at different points. When I'm working with leaders and we talk about a strengths-based approach and, and we drill into wanting to understand their strengths, I always then encourage them to take that next step of saying, okay, now how would you think about creating a a platform or an environment where your team and those other people in your organisation could also put their strengths to work in the world. How do you do that same approach related to purpose? So how do we as a leader ensure that we don't just have this really enriching, beautiful, reflective exercise and practice around purpose, but not translate that into ensuring that those who work for us are also doing this work? Are there things that you've seen companies do that work well, things we should keep in mind? So one of my dreams is that everybody would have a purpose statement in their file at work so that when you have a meeting with your supervisor, that supervisor sees what matters to you in the workplace and what strengths you want to bring out and then can have a discussion with, are you using these strengths in a way that is meaningful to you? And if so, how can we do that more? If not, how can we engage in job crafting or or tweaking things in a way to get to get everybody to feel more aligned with the mission of the organization? So I, I see that both in a corporate uh, atmosphere and also even in your doctor's office. Wouldn't it be great if your healthcare provider knew what mattered to you and what your values were as they're guiding you in any treatment options? So, you know, there, there are ways to kind of put this into regular checkup kind of conversations. Certainly your financial advisor, these are questions that financial advisors are asking more and more, which is really terrific because again, that's how you're going to figure out how to invest uh, your money and what success looks like for you in retirement. So that's important. The other thing that I have found really kind of striking around the idea of these strengths is the number of particularly young adults who say they don't have any strengths, that they're not good at anything. And for a long time, I couldn't understand really where this came from. And my going hypothesis right now is that we as humans evolved in fairly small groups of maybe 80 or 100 people where there was going to be someone who was the best at something in that group. But now we're in a very global world where the idea that you are going to be the best at even, you know, some very specific thing, you can find someone who's better than you on YouTube. <laughs> and so that I think is leaving young adults feeling that they don't have any real strengths because they can't be the absolute best at it. So as a professor, what one of the things I'm trying to do with people is to say, no, that's not what strengths mean. These are, uh, these are strengths or another organization calls them agilities that uh, some of which come naturally to you, others of which you are interested in growing and interested in applying in different ways. And thinking about it that way, rather than the, I have to be the single best person uh, on planet earth, that seems also to be a sort of more psychologically healthy way to have these discussions. Yeah. I had a similar experience with, I was a coaching 
a group of people in a, a leadership program and we did a strengths-based piece. And one of the participants, when we were going through their their top strengths that had come out, they had this nervousness around. They said, well, but what if there's someone else in the group who's better, who is more strategic than me? Like it was this, like, how can I claim that when there might be someone better? And I think you're right. There is this, the ways that our sense of everything being a competition and someone wins and someone loses have infiltrated into every area in ways that can actually be so incredibly unhelpful because, again, the the reflective piece and the self-awareness is saying, no, no, this isn't you competing or comparing yourself to others in, in that type of way. It's saying, how do I get really clear on what are those unique aspects that I bring to a setting it, it doesn't have to be that I'm saying I'm better than – I guarantee I'm better than every single person in this room. It's just saying, no, I have something to offer in these these ways and I can show up with that. Yeah. And it's an abundance mindset as well. Exactly. It's an abundance mindset that, that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. that I can bring this gift to this organization. And even even if you have the same gift, we can work together for both of our benefits and the greater good. Yes, and that that whole win-win rather than the zero-sum game, I think really, again, brings all of this back together that if we're trying to say, how do you bring back doing good and making money into the same business model? How do you start to change some of these mindset pieces that are so deeply embedded in us? It is these exact examples that we've talked through today and it's looking at drawing out the and understanding the purpose of those on your team so that you can say, okay, if I better understand that and help them connect what it is they're trying to achieve in their own lives and what they care about to what we're doing as a business, that will have flow-on effects that create a win for them and that create a win for us as a business. But while ever we're trapped in that space of saying, great, we have to maximise this aspect of profit and then the team are seeing no component where they win in that process, we will not actually start to see those pieces that I think can be a real competitive advantage for a business when this isn't just spoken about, but it's deeply practiced in the organization. I completely agree. And really, that's why when I define purpose, I talk about using your gifts in keeping with your values to benefit others as well, to positively impact others. I define, the way I define it, purpose by its very nature then is pro-social. It's not just about me. It's about using my gifts for others. And the research on happiness and well-being is very clear. That tends to make us happier. Now, there are people who disagree with me and say, and you can have a purpose that is selfish. Uh, That can be your singular life aim. That purpose won't make you happy. And a business can have a purpose, a mission that is solely for profit. That will probably not be the model that is going to keep employees for their entire careers and make uh, and make everybody as happy and well off as possible. So, you know, I like my definition of purpose because it incorporates that human ecological uh, approach that we are all intertwined, that we're all interconnected. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, but that we can come at life through a place of abundance. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we actually look at these different areas where there is research showing these important 
components of how things actually do play out. Because you're right, there's exceptions to every rule. We can always find an example where an incredibly selfish person or leader or organisation seemed to succeed or won even though they were being uh, behaving in ways that are not pro-social. So there will be exceptions to the rule, but we need to come back and actually look at these things from, okay, what what does actual research, what does the data show us? And then have a bit more confidence to engage in some of these ways. And, and when you were talking about that, it made me think of um, the – Roger Martin's book, Fixing the Game, where he did this really interesting assessment between looking at uh, S&P 500 companies before the idea of shareholder value maximisation came into account and after. And when he did that, so he took the first period he took was from sort of the end of the Great Depression, 1933, through till 1976. And in that time frame, the returns were annually at 7.5%. When he then took the time period, the second time period, 1977 to 2010, when that shifted occurred, when there was this obsession and focus on the shareholder value maximization, returns had dropped to 6.5%. So like, we're not actually seeing, we're talking a big game, but we're not seeing the actual results prove out that point in the way that we so confidently discuss. And so I think whether it's related to a one-dimensional view of business or whether it's even looking at something like power, that we have taken on these ideas around how power is given to people and, and have all these opinions, but they don't sit with research that you know people like um, Keltner in The Power Paradox looked at all of these really fantastic components of how do you actually be given power? How, do, how does that endure? And they all connect with your definition of, of purpose. So I think we, we also just need to come back to some of these pieces that say, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not just something that if I have time, I will try to behave in this way. They're fundamentally practices that are going to create genuine improvements in all of the areas of the way your business operates. It, it is true, and yet it also does take time. And so, as Stephen Covey was famous for, the, the idea of important versus urgent, right? The urgent things pop up all over our lives, and the e just clearing out our email box is so overwhelming. So, the idea of, of investing in important things is very difficult. And then, all too often, we have so many of these corporate wellness programs that say, all right, now we're going to go on a retreat day today and we're going to talk about your purpose. And I understand why people are pretty cynical about this. I'm the one who gives the keynotes at a lot of these talks. So <laughs> I have to address this cynicism right off the bat. But the, the idea of really living it on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and for leaders showing others that this is how they lead, that idea of leading by example, and, um, and walking the walk yourself. These, these are things that are very, very powerful. So I have personally done all the exercises that I recommend and I do them often because at any point when they stop working for me, I realize I need to go in and uh, redo them because they'll probably stop working for other people. So really testing all of this out yourself to me seems the best way to learn it. As we sort of wrap up, are there any pieces we haven't talked about that are important to you or things you even just want to reiterate for us where 
when you think of business leaders and the way that cultivating these ideas and this clarity around purpose could could be impacting the world more powerfully, what do you wish we would be putting into practice more as business leaders? I wish that we could have conversations around purpose in the C-suite, certainly, but not only in the C-suite. I think we have this idea that topics around purpose and meaning are only for those who are educated and affluent and, um, and on a leadership track. And one of the things that I have very much wanted to do for years is to really talk about purpose to quite literally the bricklayers, to the folks on the factory lines, to folks who are building things and doing things that uh, don't have the same kind of C-suite pay and recognition, but are incredibly purposeful jobs. Because purpose is not a luxury. Purpose is not something that you know will come down from the heavens one day either. A purpose is a verb, not a noun. It's something that we do on a daily basis. And I believe that all of our companies will be better off and better served if purpose is something that we understand is part of everyone's everyday life. So yes, that is my, that is my hope for companies and leadership and everybody. Thank you so much. Well, if people want to learn more or engage more with your research or, or the pieces that you're sharing with the world, what's the best way for them to find you? So my website is christinewheelan.com. And uh, my audiobook um, was an Audible original lecture series from the great courses. It's called Finding Your Purpose. And, uh, and so if you want to learn more about that, it takes you through some of the exercises and that's available. And then for young adults, I wrote a book called The Big Picture, A Guide to Finding Your Purpose in Life. So there's lots of things out there. I've done a couple TED Talks. I'm very Googleable these days. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I really encourage people to tap into some of those resources to get more practical, even beyond what we've talked about today. And just think about how you can use clarity around your own purpose, the purpose of your organization, to really start to bring that freedom and fulfillment back into your work in a way that that means your life outside of work and your your work itself don't feel like these disconnected pieces that are constantly pulling on each other. So please join us again next week and I hope this has been a useful conversation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham. If you found what I shared today valuable or you think that it would be good for a fellow business leader to listen to, then please share the episode with someone you know. Another way to help the podcast is to provide a rating and written review on your podcast app of choice. The written review is important because it helps others learn more about what we're trying to achieve. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me at any time on LinkedIn, YouTube or Instagram just by searching Bessie Graham or you can go to BessieGraham.com. I'm Bessie Graham and remember, you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life.